think about the growing pains, the various growing pains that a kid goes through from the time they're an infant to the really 24 is the end of adolescence, most doctors say now. And so home and our family should be the safe place where they can have these growing pains, emotional, physical growing pains, spiritual growing pains, relational growing pains, and the pains of growing up. What the Bible calls the pain, not just of childbearing, but child rearing, is painful on everybody. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Pleasure to have you here on this edition of our program. Today, we welcome Freddie Allball from Hope Presbyterian Church. Freddie, good to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thank you for inviting me, man. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. I understand you grew up as an Air Force brat. I did. And so my dad served uh, the United States military for 26 years. I lived in 13 different cities over my lifetime. And so I tell people I'm not really from anywhere. I'm kind of from everywhere. <laughs> but uh, my family and I have been in Memphis for about eight and a half years, and we absolutely love it. So when you're doing this military gig, did you travel overseas anywhere or primarily just in the U.S.? That is my biggest complaint with my father still today. <laughs> so I was born in England. Were you? Yes, and uh, left when I was one years old. So that's why I don't have the accent. <laughs> uh, but uh, And then we did all of our stuff, uh, all of our kind of tours and stationing uh, here in the States. I always wish, though, that he would have saved at least one of those, because a lot of my friends went to Germany for four years, or I'm glad we didn't go to Alaska. That would have yeah. been miserable. I'd say there's a really nice Air Force base on the island of Guam, Anderson Air Force Base. Uh, my family, we were missionaries there with a radio organization back in the mid-'90s, and so uh, we had some friends at our church that were you know, stationed there at Anderson. And one thing I discovered about Air Force life and Air Force families, there was Navy families, too, on the island, and a few Marines, but... Uh, Air Force gets the best accommodations. It seems like it seems like their housing was a lot nicer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was the only that we, only thing we knew. And, and I also let my dad know there's also a military base in Hawaii that we never got to go to either. That's so, right. Yeah. What's the deal, Dad? <laughs> I know. Come on. <laughs> so okay, eight and a half years here at, in Memphis or at Hope Church altogether? Yes, both. Okay. Uh, what about ministry? When did that all start for you? Well, uh, like most pastors, I never thought I wanted to be a pastor. And so when I went to college. I was one of those guys that um, would have been very satisfied staying home and grinding college out for 10 or 12 years. Right. <laughs> and my dad had a different philosophy yeah. about his life. He, he came from a more impoverished situation, and the military is a way for him to escape poverty, actually. Wow. And so he had a bigger vision for my life. And so he strongly encouraged slash pushed me to really take the next steps. And I can remember uh, when I went off to school – I thought I wanted to stay. We were living in Fort Worth, Texas at the time. I thought I wanted to stay local, maybe to go to community college for a couple years and transfer to a four-year institution there in the Metroplex. And I can remember him saying, Freddie, you cannot stay here. And it wasn't because he didn't want me there. Um, It was because he knew I needed to go someplace else, learn to be uh, a man on my own, make mistakes, pick myself up. Some of those life skills that he has tried to instill in me need to be put in practice when he wasn't around. And so he said, I don't care what you major in, uh, but you've got to go to school. And so uh, and so I majored in pre-physical therapy. I was about to do that. And fortunately, a professor who is actually a, a track coach on the, on the campus as well said, Freddie, you know, you don't need to be in athletics. You don't need to be in physical therapy. You need to be a pastor. I said, you're crazy. Um, God wasn't really the – he was a part of my life. but wasn't the focus of my life at the time. I mean, he kept on encouraging me in the gifts that he saw. And um, and so 
the way it happened is that you have to do 60 hours of observations to be go to physical therapy school. And I did that because I'm a procrastinator the very last minute towards graduation as I'm applying to PT school. And I had no idea that physical therapists dealt with wound care. And all of my rotations and observations were in burn vict- with burn victims. Oh, my. And I, I said, that's not for me. And so uh, God used that to kind of ask, have me ask the questions, okay, now what? Still wasn't in ministry, but uh, law, you know, fast forward a little bit, God used a lot of various events in a short amount of time on my senior year to uh, help me, uh, to lead me to um, Heart Life, Heart Light Ministries in East Texas as a residential counseling program for kids in crisis. And I lived there for two years as a residential director, and then God opened my heart for ministry and wanted to bring help hurting people to the local church, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Wow, what a journey. And the fact that there was no inclination or anything prior that you thought, I want to be a pastor in the ministry somehow. No, not at all. And, yeah. uh, you know, my my parents were first-generation Christians, so they didn't have a Christian background. And so you, they were still learning what it meant to live a life of faith as they were raising me and my sister. And so it was... Uh, and, and, and so we're all learning together. They were a little bit ahead of our journey, but that we are still all learning together. And so my only context was military life. That was my normal. Yeah, I yeah, still get yeah. the itch every four years to kind of, I'm, I'm here too long. Really? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's time to move. You know, so, uh, and so it's, you know, that was my only context. So that was my, my main focus. But my dad said, there's, there's a bigger world out there that I want you to explore. Well, yeah. well, you said something key there a moment ago when you talked about your parents raising you, I guess your sister, mm-hmm. raising kids, parenting. That's what we want to talk about today because there's a conference coming up in November, November 2nd, I believe. Yes, it is. At uh, Hope Church called Hope for Parents Summit. It's a pretty big opportunity for those listening to come out and really kind of brush up on parenting skills and get some encouragement. Well, I like to say maybe some parents need hugs sometimes, you know, because it can be a, a lonely and discouraging place when you think about trying to raise kids in today's world. It is. I have four kids ranging from 13 to my youngest is eight. And my wife and I joke, uh, you know, I wanted two because we had two in my family. Uh, my wife wanted four, so we compromised and had four. <laughs> but it's different. Like, so my years of working with students at that residential counseling program and in church context prior to being a marriage and family pastor, it is different loving a kid that's not yours and raising a kid that is. So a lot of times, at least in my personal experience and in the parents that I work with, the highs and lows are much higher when they're good and much lower. It, it, you feel it more. Yeah. And sometimes you just question, God, am I doing this right? And there's this fear as well. At least this is a fear that I have, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners might share this, is that um, am I kind of messing my kid up? Am I creating wounds as I'm stumbling around trying to help them be the people God wants them to be? And so there's a lot of parent guilt. There's a lot of parent questions. And hopefully the summit will give us, for lack of a better term, a roadmap to let us know we might be on the right track. Thinking back, Freddie, my wife and I raised three sons. My oldest is 33. 
I have a 31-year-old and I have a 20, almost 28-year-old. We've got two granddaughters. So we're on the other side of wow. this. But just reflecting back on the time that we were in the heat of parenting, three boys pretty close to an age, mm-hmm. the energy there. When you're in the, the forest of all that, is it ever going to end? It's and your seems, compass isn't working. Exactly. <laughs> it's not working. Yeah, but when you get through it, you're going, wow, what about the mistakes I made? I could have mm-hmm. done this better. You know, I should have maybe gone to that seminar or read that book or whatever. It's all past now. And yeah. they're on their own living their own lives and family. Those are things that, you know, as a parent, you're always a parent. And we still parent. Of course, now the grandparenting stage, which is the best, I have to say, <laughs> you got something to look forward to. That's great. But still, I remember some of the struggles trying to parent and want to do it right. And you think, oh, I, I really failed in so many ways. You know what? And I think there's key biblical point that you're bringing up. A lot of us as parents and as people, we confuse um, what God asks of us. Jesus was perfect so we could be faithful. And so when it comes to our earthly relationships and our earthly responsibilities and as we live a life of faith, Jesus said, it is finished. I've met the requirements that Father God has for you. Now be faithful in the things that I command. And faithfulness is not perfection. This is how I like to define it. Faithfulness is thinking, speaking, and living with the best interest of your family, your marriage, or your kids in mind, both in their presence and when they're not around. And so faithfulness is is, is an intentional life. It says, okay, how am I speaking? Because sometimes parenting can be, like you said, overwhelming, and that forest is on fire, and our kids feel like the enemy, and they sure feel like we are the enemy. So how am I faithful in the way I speak, act, and think of my child in those moments? At the same time, how do I be intentional when things are kind of going well? When we hit one of those plateaus and we go, okay, I see God working. Do I, do I kind of take my foot off the gas or do I kind of lean back in the easy chair of parenting and, and enjoy it for a second? Well, you see both extremes. I mean, you see those who really engage parenting. They seem like maybe a little too much. Yes. And then you see those who don't engage quite enough. A weekend or two ago, we took our six-year-old granddaughter up to Nashville to the Science Museum, which was an incredible experience. If you haven't been, you need to go. Science Museum has done very well there. But there was one little, probably six-year-old, who just right in the middle of everything pitched an incredible i don't think i've ever seen a kid pitch that kind of temper tantrum i mean just the loudest screeching scream no i'm not gonna do that you know mm-hmm. and the parent was just kind of coddling there was no direction i guess they didn't know what to do and i'm hey i'm not going to judge the parent because sometimes your kids get out of control when you're doing everything right and you don't know what to do right you know it's not a reflection necessarily on your parenting sometimes kids just go through these these emotional stages that are changing and things are happening in their life we have to be mindful of too what's so crazy and i think this is something i have to remind myself my wife and i just had this conversation probably a week ago that our home and even our family even if we're out in public should be a safe place is think about the growing pains the various growing pains that a kid goes through from the time they're an infant to the really 24 is the end of adolescence most doctors say now and so home and our family should be the safe place where they can have these growing pains, emotional, physical growing pains, spiritual growing pains, relational growing pains, and the pains of growing up. And what the Bible calls the pain, not just of childbearing, but child rearing, is painful on everybody. And so in that moment, because we've had several grocery store incidents, I tell my kids all the time, you don't care if you embarrass yourself. 
you know you can embarrass us. And they said, yeah, we know. You know they're old <laughs> enough to kind of admit it. There's a strategy. Yeah. We want what we want, and we don't care what they think about us. Yeah. Which is refreshing and also infuriating yeah. when they could actually put it to words. Yeah, we know exactly what we're doing, and there's a strategy yeah. behind it. Yes. And it doesn't work all the time, but it works enough. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so when they have those, those growing pains, a lot of times parents feel it as well. And there's embarrassment. We feel like everybody's watching us. There's judgment. But that's what the local church is supposed to alleviate, to say, you know, we've all been there. And in these moments when our, our kids, who are sinners— are being sinners in the most vocal way, there's grace. And there's also a community to say, not this I've been there, and not just a bunch of idle advice, but that we're with you in this pain. Yeah. And I think on the flip side of that, Freddie, I also see parents who really set the bar sometimes, I think, too high for their kids. Absolutely. Don't you agree? When you talk Absolutely. about that grace being offered, you don't see enough of it. Yes. And, and in a lot of ways, it's on measurables. When I was growing up, this is how I knew I was a good kid. If I did well in school, if I didn't get a speeding ticket when I got my driver's license, if I didn't back talk and my friend's parents didn't like tell everything that we were doing when my parents weren't around. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So there was some core things that were measurables. And a lot of times, parents put a lot of stock in the measurables. But we have to remember, and this is where my going back to Heart Light Ministries, my, my mentor, Mark Rexton, who is a teen expert, he says this, that, we have to train our kids to survive and thrive in the jungle, not just live in a zoo. A lot of us were so focused on the safety of our home, which could be considered the zoo, yeah. that we don't realize that we're preparing, much like your sons now who are raising their own families, how do we prepare them for the world that they're actually going to live in, not the world we wish they were going to inherit? A yeah. world that's ever-changing, too. Yes, and different than the one we grew up in. Totally. Yeah. And that's what scares the whatever out of us, right? And so when we realize that we're trying to help our kids survive in the world that they are living in, that's uniquely challenging. And it takes parents who are not just instilling values, but preparing them to meet the demands of their reality, which is character. And that's why the gospel is timeless for every generation, you know? That's why it fits for now. You look at it how in Jesus' life 2,000 years ago, the teachings of Christ, the life of Christ is just as applicable, never changing. God doesn't change. Yes. And so basing our family on these principles that come from God's solid word, no matter what fluctuates, no matter what changes around us, we can have, as you mentioned, a compass. We can have a compass for life. Exactly. And Deuteronomy 6 brings it up very well. You know, early on in the Christian community, uh, God instructed families, at least parents, to talk about these things of God all the time. Put them prominently in your home. Wear them on your forehead. You know, it's almost like make this in the forefront of your mind because this is the direction for life. Now, for parents, we have to understand that the things that our kids are being confronted with are a little different. Now, let's think about technology, for example. Totally. And so technology is not going away. It's going to be the centerpiece of our kids' future. A lot of them will take online classes and never meet a teacher or professor in person. Socially, they have to interact on some level on technology. I mean, even dating now. You can refine the list. And then vocationally, more and more people are working remotely and still have to interact with a boss they may never see a group of co-workers that might be scattered around the country. And we have to help our kids understand uh, this tool that is ever going to be ever-present in their life but doesn't have to define who they are. And so parents have to learn that. We see about identity, which is much broader than when I was growing up. 
I mean, not just what is a real man and what is a real woman, but even the pronouns that people will use to identify themselves, if they will choose to use a pronoun or not. The lines have gotten really blurred now. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, even if that's not what your kid struggles with, you have to train them, encourage them, point them in a godly direction, and in a way that's grace-filled so they can interact with people who are struggling with that as well. And then even with anxiety, it's amazing to me, and Sissy and David at our parenting summit are going to bring this up. Anxiety is on the rise among our kids. And a lot of people are trying to assign this with social media and other external factors, but really there's not enough research to discern where it's coming from. You know, I was just talking to a young parent the other day. Their daughter had been complaining of a stomachache for several days. Took her to the doctor, and she's like seven, six, seven years old. And the doctor said, it's stress. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is a child at six years old. Where's her stress? Mm -hmm. But this is a reality today. It is an absolute reality. It's probably more of a reality. This is kind of off subject a little bit. So a little personal story of my own. I struggle with anxiety and depression. I've shared that on my podcast. I've preached about that. It's not a stigma for me anymore. Does it characterize where I am in my faith or what I believe about God? It is a medical fact, not a character flaw. But my good friend, who's also a psychologist, says, you know, he he reminded me, he's like, Freddie, you probably had this at a very young age yourself. But a lot of anxiety that presents itself in young children presents itself as symptoms of ADD, which everybody wanted to put me on medication elementary and middle school years. But he says it probably was the anxiety and depression that you should face now. And so these things might be ever present, but we've tried to handle them in different ways. But that anxiety that that kid is feeling, that six or seven-year-old, can not be managed, but they can live without a stigma attached to it and realize that God can use it for good. It's amazing how many times I share this chemical imbalance in my body, and people go, me too. So God works all these things together for the good. Now, in the middle of parenting, when we see our kids struggling, I would even say suffering, and we're trying to lead them well, that is when parents are going, what do I do? And that's why the summit's so important. And you just mentioned Sissy, Sissy Goff and David Thomas, two outstanding experts on parenting, exactly. are going to be the couple of the featured speakers. But also there's Jonathan Pitts. Yes. Jonathan recently has become a, a single parent himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were telling me the story. He and his wife had just completed a new book. So Jonathan Winter Pitts, they finished their book, Emptied, which is their marriage book. They've also written a parenting book on girls because they have four daughters as well. And the day they turned in their final manuscript, she passed away suddenly of a cardiac incident. And so Jonathan, they were moving from Dallas to Nashville to take a new job. So all the natural stresses that come with these different experiences that they were planning for. Right. And then they throw uh, the death of wife and mother, and it really ministry partner, too. I can't imagine what they've gone through. So Jonathan's going to share his journey, what he's learning about parenting as a single dad. Now, the great thing about this, and he shares this uh, openly, so I'm not divulging any confidences, uh, Sissy and Winter were close friends she counsels his family as they're walking through this grief process. And the reason that we're inviting Sissy and David is, number one, they have a clinical expertise that is Christ-centered, but also they see what's happening in real time with real families right now. And they have hope and direction that's rooted in Scripture, but also is clinically based with the practical steps for parents of faith, and even parents who aren't of faith, to help lead their children in the way they want to go. 
And the great thing about this is they give us realistic expectations of what girls in various stages are going through and what boys in those same various stages are going to experience as well. And then give us some real tools to parent well in those seasons. So the summit is a one-day event, November 2nd. Is that right? Yes. Give us some details. Okay, so the Parenting Summit will be happening at Hope Church November the 2nd from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. They can go to hopechurchmemphis.com slash parenting right now, so you can also check that out. It's only 10 bucks because we just want you to reserve the spot. We're not trying to make any money. And we know that most parents need to find child care during this time, so we're making it super affordable because your kid does not want to be at a church for five hours on a Saturday. They would rather be in their home. They would be. So we want you to spend your money on any kind of kid care in case you don't have family or friends who can help you out with that. And then it's a seminar from 9 to 2, and we're going to walk through those various stages, give you encouragement and direction. Now, Jonathan's also going to join us on that. He's going to be our featured pastor the entire weekend. So we have five services over the course of a weekend, so November 2nd and 3rd. He will be preaching, sharing his story, and also sharing how he has developed family in his church community, his new church community in Nashville. Well, Freddie, in your role at Hope Church, helping families, marriage counseling, and things that you do through your ministry, what are some of the issues that parents are bringing to the table with you? What are some of the struggles and the things they're trying to weave through in their parenting? It depends. You know, again, it's all about stages. In the early stages, A lot of the parenting issues are really being seen in their co-parenting relationships, whether they have a parent in the home with them or they're co-parenting with somebody outside their home. Because in the early stages, parents are overwhelmed, even if it's their third, fourth, or fifth child, overwhelmed with the reality that, okay, they are the center of attention. A lot of times uh, that creates a lot of loss in the marriage, meaning that, hey, we used to do these things before he or she who we love deeply, came into the world. And so a lot of those early struggles are exhaustion. Are we doing this right? And then are we connecting in a way? It's amazing how many marriages struggle, especially when that first child enters the home. Oh, yeah. And so we deal with a lot with that. For dads, I was just speaking to a group of moms recently, especially for the first child, and I've experienced this as well. I mean, there is a special connection a mom has with an infant that a dad just doesn't have. This child grew inside of her. As soon as the child comes out, they throw that child on the chest because there's some bonding thing that's supposed to happen. Uh, She has all the equipment to take care of that child, and we're just kind of looking. Like, what do I do? We're the equipment manager of the team. We hold the bags, we drive the van, and we do what we're told. And so there's a sense of where do I belong for a lot of fathers in that time. Then it goes to uh, a kid starts speaking and talking, and are they on track developmentally is a big stressor. And then how do I have those faith conversations? You know, at a very early age, when do I start those faith conversations? And in the teen years, it's really character development. The teachings of God and applying those to real-life situations, many that we just described, that's the hardest challenge of parenting. And it's starting earlier and earlier. Well, my understanding is from the cradle until graduation, there's 7,000 days approximately. You have to be a parent. So how do we best use those 7,000 days? A summit like this is going to help bring balance skill, strength, and just some point. You know, hearing other people tell their story mm-hmm. is half of it sometimes, especially if you're isolated. And sometimes it's just busyness in families trying to get off of work and then get dinner on the table or go through a drive through because you've got cheerleading practice, you've got band practice, or the homework at nighttime is mm-hmm. crazy. And, you know, people are trying to survive from 5 p.m. to whenever bedtime is. I mean, I hit the door, 
and it's it's the it's game time yep. you know and but i'm not so sure i mean god knew that was going to happen i mean he did he knew that life was going to change for folks like us yeah this is not a surprise to him and yet he still entrusted us with this child we have to understand and many of the parents that uh mentors that i have moving beyond those high school years and you know this because you've got sons in their mid-30s the parenting doesn't stop it just changes it does yeah some of the best conversations my dad and i had uh was when i started having kids and it was amazing you know those conversations that were life-giving that says okay here's the things i just didn't know to do these are the things i was never taught to do yeah and these are the things i hope you will do and so even in those moments uh, a church community is really important that's what's been so life-giving in my own parenting journey. We've always been part of churches in those various places of my adult years, especially in those parenting years. Even though as I was on staff, we've always had a mentor that said, okay, this is normal. And that mentor was not did not give me a formula of how to raise kids like theirs, but how to love the kids that God gave me. And we are in a community of parents. One of my pet peeves, whether church, counseling, or otherwise, is uh, the dump and run. We go and, you know, just kind of, this has been a hard week, and let me tell you all about it. And then we go, and I feel much better now. But the the Christian community, the family of God, is not only a place where we kind of unload those burdens. Jesus says, cast all your cares, cast all of your burdens on me, and so the church should reflect that in some way, but also to give direction. Hopefully, my dad friends will say, okay, Freddie, I understand that right now it's challenging, but go live out your calling as a parent. You know, so it's not just dumping. It's like, oh, yeah, we understand. Same with us. And then we just go leaving good. There's always direction. And that's why this summit is so important because it's a place that we can come and say, yeah, it might be tough or we're preparing because we heard it will be. But it's also giving godly direction so we can live out this calling. That's a key word, calling as a parent. It's a great calling, and it is a season, and this too shall pass. But in the process of that, having these tools, having this summit is so helpful. So, friends, I hope you will take advantage of, again, the Hope for Parents Summit at Hope Church coming up on November 2nd, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. with Sissy Goff, David Thomas, and Jonathan Pitts. You don't want to miss it. We're going to help you in raising your boys, raising your girls. Go on the website now. Again, that website? HopeChurchMemphis.com slash parenting. And what are the service times at Hope of those might want to stop by for a worship so service? We have a Saturday service at 5.30, and then our Sunday services start at 8 a.m., then 9.30, and 11.15, and we even have a Sunday evening service at 5.30 p.m. called The Stirring, which is more of a Memphis feel with bluesier worship music and those types of things. All right. Freddie, thank you so much for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom through the ministry of Hope Church, especially in helping encourage parents and families to have that faith focus and provide the summit for those listening right now. Well, thank you so much for having us, and thanks for all you do and and encouraging through God's Word on this radio program. Thanks so much. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for listening. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. 